what is Ethereum? What is the blockchain? Yep, yep. Is this a scam? Welcome to the Gig Boss Podcast, where musicians go to learn how to navigate the new music economy. My name is Adam Meckler, and it's my mission to get you the tools to have a thriving career in music. By now, you've heard all about NFTs. Crypto bros fawning over something called bored apes. Maybe it makes you roll your eyes. Maybe you don't like the energy consumption and fraud in the space. Or maybe you're curious. You can see that there's potential for artists to take back the power and sell their art for what their fans think it's worth. And with Ethereum merging to a new system called Proof of Stake that will literally decrease power consumption to 1% of what it is now, it's a hard thing to completely ignore. Is there something here that can totally change how we consume art? My guest today is Drew Morton. Known as Drew Made Stuff in the NFT community, Drew is a music maker and a digital artist. He's been making digital art since before he had even heard of NFTs. Because of his large body of work, he even got an email from some ragtag coders asking him if he would sell his art as NFTs on their platform. And then in 2019, I got asked to join this marketplace called Maker's Place. I got this whole spiel about how you mint your art on the Ethereum blockchain and you sell it and you get Ethereum. And I'm like, what is Ethereum? What is the blockchain? Yep, yep. Is this a scam? Yep. Um, and so I ignored it. I ignored the email. And then they came back again. And it was like a super personalized email. The first one I and thought, And so they're okay. coming after you because you had a, a huge body of work. That yeah, they, and they, that they, they saw as digital art and they're trying to get artists on there. Interesting. Yeah. And they're trying to like get this ball rolling and I'm like, no, I just want to play my music and have my artist art behind me. <laughs> yeah, sure. But then they sent me another email that was, you know, personalized and different from the first one. It made me think, oh, this is maybe not a scam. Okay, I yeah. should look at this. Uh, so I put a bunch of stuff on Maker's Place. I don't know if I even sold one in the next, maybe I sold, I sold one in the first few months or something, but Again, I didn't really know what blockchain was, Ethereum was, so I didn't really pay much attention to it. So Ethereum is like at $400 a coin or something at that time, 2019? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So I was like pricing my stuff at like what was going to be $40, like point something Ethereum, and it had the USD value next to it. Like, oh yeah, this will be worth, you know, I could be happy selling this for 40 bucks. Yeah. And then I leave it, sit there for like a couple of years, come back in... 2021 when things are like blowing up and i go in there and i look at my what i had sold at the time i sold for like it was like 40 bucks yeah but now i turn around and i have like 300 dollars worth of ethereum sitting in my little wallet there interesting but then i also look at all of my prices that i set that are now just like astronomical and it makes me look like a huge (laughs) jerk like this pompous (laughs) Just artist who thinks I'm just worth so much. And I'm like, I, I, I didn't know what I was doing when I did this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Drew had this body of work because he decided to do something called Everydays starting in 2012. And he did them all the way until 2019. An insane amount of work, which must have taken a crazy amount of discipline. That means starting and finishing a piece of digital art every single day, which amounts to maybe 2,500 pieces. Well, the visuals for music started, I think, all the way back 2012, somewhere between 2010 and 2012. I got inspired by this artist named Beeple. Yeah, Um, I know Beeple, yeah. uh, He's been doing every days. And he 
inspired me to start doing everydays. I did everydays from 2012 through 2019. Holy smokes. Um, just starting and finishing a piece of digital art. You know, some are better than others, you know, yeah, made plenty sure. of garbage in those years. But it also set me up to, like, build this foundation for what I could easily turn into an animation, which then I would take to Copeland shows and Jack Lyon shows and just try to get these animations playing behind us because people will also have animations. And I think I he first got a big break with Flying Lotus. Maybe not his first big break, but I saw a lot of his stuff being played with Flying Lotus. Ah, and it was interesting. Just super cool. I didn't realize Flying Lotus used people animations. That's That's sweet. For a little bit, I think. That was, for a while, that was like the only outlet for me to... That was like I'd make animations and that was like the only place I could show it off and have people yeah. see it. So, right. which was, it was great. It was fine. You know, got a lot of positive feedback. Now, Drew is just an artist making art and he's not purchasing a board ape or a crypto punk and then adding something to it and then trying to flip it for a profit. He's an artist. And so I asked him if there was a divide between the people that are in NFT communities to create and sell art versus the people that are in NFT communities to make a quick buck. Yeah, there's a, I wouldn't say divide, but it's interesting being in that realm because you've got like the one of one artists where they make a piece and there's only one available. Someone gets that one copy. And then there's like the edition artists who make art and they sell like 10 to 50 editions of it for relatively cheap you've got the pfp projects where you know you click a button and it generates from all these traits that are designed by the artist and then the computer algorithm puts them all together into a unique trait so you've got like so what does pfp stand for what is that profile picture oh okay because they're usually just like avatars like board ape um, right right and so then in that generative aspect you've got like ten thousand unique one of ones that are all within this same same branding, I suppose. Right. What I think is cool with like what Board Ape is doing, and I think a lot of other people are trying to also do is for the people that buy them and holders, they get extra stuff or get access to other things just to try to give this project more utility for the holders. Right. Which is cool, but I also don't want to stray away from the idea that like art can exist just by itself. Just like music can exist just by itself. Like you don't ask the person on stage, like, what am I going to get out of coming to this concert of yours and listening to you play? Like, well, you know, it's interesting you say that because like we do that, don't we? We sell VIP tickets and we do backstage right. visits. And like, so there is an element of that in the music industry. And there's always going to be some level of like, well, what else do I get? Yeah. I've seen more and more musical artists say like you know you buy this album this nft album and you'll get lifetime access to all my live performances yeah along with you know some merch or whatnot but yeah yeah and i just saw today i don't remember which group it was but if you buy a ticket and you also attend the concert then you get uh, an nft airdropped to your wallet like as a proof of like you went to the show and it's yeah. supposed to be like super exclusive but i think stuff like that is pretty cool yeah, um, or like you get, you know, if you record the show live or something, you get the you get the live recording of the show or something. Like that would be an yeah, interesting. Yeah, just like little bookmarks of like, oh, like I remember that. Like sort of yeah. like with your passport, you open up your passport and you see all the stamps of where you were. 
to yeah, open that's up a good your analogy. digital like wallet that. and look at all these different events that you went to or... Right, right. So at this point, you could decide that you're not into digital images, you're not into digital scarcity, you don't find any value in that, and that could be that. But what I find to be the most interesting part about what Drew does is that he both does music and digital art. So he combines his disciplines into one piece of art, both his digital imaging and his music. Yeah, so anymore, most of my pieces that I'm releasing are, they're animated loops with looped audio with it okay so my what i'm imagining is like i just want to see it on a wall that just is a seamless loop and it's got like speakers so that you can just stand there and it's kind of ambiguous where it starts and begins but it's sure it just continues going it's i don't know some are easier to put together than others how long are the loops uh between 30 seconds to a minute usually so long pretty long loops Partially because of um, file size limits right now on the different platforms, but those are always, you know, getting increased. So right now I think the limit is 150 megabytes, which is exciting. That's a recent addition. So I'm excited to kind of expand my loops and try to make them longer. I like the idea of imagining the future of art galleries, imagining the future of home art. You know, I was just looking at uh, one of the, one of the apps um for the tezos blockchain and it's basically just like a display your nfts app and you can you can take all your nfts go to this app and then you can you can pair that app to your apple tv or to whatever and display the art essentially on like a rotation right so you can have like a tv in your room and you can display your art on rotation all all the nfts that you own um and I'm, i'm like i like imagine that someday picture frames are digital and, and that's already happening a little bit right there's already picture yeah. frames that that c- cycle through digital images but being able to display your nfts that way and maybe making it so that only the person that owns the nft can display it that way or something it seems it does seem the digital frames seem a bit clunky to me right now yeah but i'm excited to see where they go um, right and i'm excited to see the ideas that people come up with in this whole space it's really exciting yeah so you you host your stuff on a variety of platforms, um, knownorigin.io, OpenSea, Object, which is o- OBJK, is that right? Yeah. Do you find that like each one of these platforms has its advantages and disadvantages? Do you find that each one of these platforms has its own community of art buyers that are interested in different things? Like, What, do you, what are you noticing between these different platforms? I think in general, people that buy art are pretty savvy across all of the platforms. Hmm. Early on, that used to be a question thrown around a lot to like the the heavy collectors. Like, is there a specific platform that you prefer to buy from, or do you you know hop around? And I think, especially a year plus in for most artists and collectors, it's it, it's just all over the map. Yeah. Like, I started on Maker's Place, and for a while, I thought I would just stay there. But then, you know the Tezos side of things was seemed to be very appealing. That side sort of became this like experimental place. And with the lower transactional fees, it was super easy to just make some art and like share it with other artists. And just like it was, you know, low pressure place to share your art with other people without yeah. having to be at the whims of the the gas fees. Okay, so I remember the first time I started learning about crypto and NFTs and the blockchain and transactional fees and gas, like gas fees. I kept hearing this term gas. And and when I went to do my first transactions, I saw gas there and, and the transaction fees were so high, I thought, what's going on here? And so for those of you that 
don't understand the system, gas fees are essentially the cost of doing a transaction on the blockchain. And if you're someone who's ever accepted credit card payments for selling your art online, then you already know that there are already fees for transactions that exist in our current fiat system. And what the merge is going to do with Ethereum, and Ethereum is the biggest blockchain, it's the most decentralized, it's the one that was built by like the Elon Musk of crypto. Wow, that's a horrible way of saying it. The Bill Gates of crypto, right? This guy is like total brainiac. His name's Vitalik Buterin. And from the start, he has drawn out this plan to move to proof of stake eventually versus proof of work, this proof of stake merge, right? So proof of work is like it has to go through all these different computers to prove that the transaction is legitimate and to make sure that it's secure. And proof of stake is going to essentially just mean that that verification model gets changed to be much less intensive on the system, which means that it uses about 1% of the energy that it currently uses. So so proof of stake will use about 1% of the energy that it currently uses. And because of that, you'll have much lower transaction fees and many more transactions per second, up to 100,000 transactions, which will allow Ethereum to scale as this becomes more widely adopted. Now, the kicker is that they've been talking about this for years and it hasn't happened. So I asked Drew if he had heard about it and what he thought about it i've heard about it for a while so i like sort years. of like lost hope for it to actually it's happen. coming soon for, <laughs> for two years well i just i just heard an interview with somebody who's like who sits if uh vitalik does these i don't know if they're weekly meetings where they you know it's like he, he talks through what's going on what they're testing and everything and it just oh. um who, this, there was one particular guy who i don't remember his name now but he went on the bankless podcast to do an interview and they and the bankless guys were like we've been trying to get him on for years to talk about the merge and he has declined and declined and declined and declined and now he has said he'll talk about it so oh. that to us seems like a positive you know <laughs> and he was talking about how you know the, the, it seemed like they're they're getting closer than before they're, they're testing still but i mean matt said the same thing um from sound.xyz he was like yeah he goes i talked to vitalik a year and a half ago and he's like you know <laughs> I, he goes deadlines are not you know it's like yeah in technology you don't deal with deadlines you deal with functionality and uh and where whenever the deadline is the deadline is but fingers yeah. crossed that that's coming um especially since i hold some eth but uh, yeah I should say that since this conversation happened, one of Ethereum's legacy test networks, Ropston, successfully went through the upgrade uh, on June 8th. And where you should never consider anything I say to be financial advice, that was a cue to me to go and maybe buy some Ethereum. Uh, because now that the system is working, it's going to be more widely adoptable and it will be able to scale to a heavier amount of use. Now, the mat that we're talking about here, we're referencing a mat. That's Matt Mazurka, who's also known as Gigamash, a really famous indie DJ who's had a bunch of top 10 billboard charts. I interviewed Matt Mazurka on our sixth episode of the Gig Boss podcast, and we talked all about his company, Sound.xyz, which is revolutionizing the music industry. NFT space. If you're interested in this episode, I highly recommend you go check out that one. You know, I always noticed too, like it seemed like pricing was so outrageous for so long with NFTs. But anytime I saw you post about what you're selling, I would go do the math and I'd go like, oh, this is a super reasonable amount of money to purchase one of Drew's pieces. And you you talked about this a little bit, but like you were obviously trying, you're trying to be conscious about not outrageously charging for your work even though people were spending that it seems like people were spending that people, on random yeah. things too just I like think not even known artists on, like how flippable your art is to someone too like if someone thinks that they could buy it for a lot and then immediately sell it for like 10 times that amount yeah. they're much more willing to spend more but 
like I don't think my stuff is I'm not in a place where someone could just turn around and make a ton of money off me. I had, you know, a couple lucky streaks on Tezos recently where some stuff would sell out and people would sell it for like I mean I sold it for like one Tezos, so it was like a few bucks. And yeah. then someone turned around and sold it for like thirty Tezos. <laughs> but that's I that doesn't mean I can turn around and sell all my stuff for thirty Tezos. Right, right, um, right. Are you, you? But are you getting a, a percentage? Of, you're getting like royalty of the future sales as well. One of the most fascinating things about all of this is, like, with each piece that I mint, I can. Well, I guess on the Ethereum side, it's mostly locked in at ten percent or fifteen percent. No, it's ten percent back, like okay. on every secondary sale. But with Tezos, you can set it. I think all the way up to twenty five percent. Wow. Granted, people can see that. People can see what secondary percentage you're taking. Right. Yeah, I, could, but, I saw on a couple of your pieces, I think on Tezos blockchain, a couple were 15% royalty. And I immediately thought like, that's so rad that Drew's going to get future royalties on his... You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> that's never... I, I knew about that. And I, I've talked about this on the podcast before. Matt and I talked about this in, in his episode where it's like, that's the that to me, that's the big, big game changer with all of this and art and music is that like, you're going to get... I mean, streaming is what streaming is in terms of... We're just going to talk about music. It's like, there's a way to play that game, and I'm interested in like learning how to play that game, but that whole thing is clearly broken in some way. Like, <laughs> like the, there's so, this, you know, and I think the advent of this, of Web3, the advent of NFTs, of, of royalties for future sales is, is really, is huge game changer. I mean, yeah. for art, it's like, you, you know, you sell a piece of physical art, and it resells, because you get famous, it resells for $3 million, you get zero of the three million dollars right unless uh, that seller is like you know super good samaritan is like here i resold this here you should get a cut yeah does that happen <laughs> no <laughs> i've literally never heard of that happening it's like anyone who gets into art buying is getting an art buying to make money i mean like at the at the really high levels in any way we're, when we're talking millions of dollars for a piece of yeah piece of art yeah. it's like if you're trying to buy and sell in that way is you're probably not thinking hmm i should give some of this money to the person who actually painted this <laughs> you know which makes sense to us doesn't it right <laughs> but yeah uh but this is like a super cool way to like ensure that that happens and it's indefinite it's like it's not just that first secondary sale it's like every time it gets passed around yeah so yeah. i get some kickback and that, so as you're building your career and you're building your reputation theoretically your art increases in value and that's yeah that's super cool. I mean, I, I think about that in terms of music where you're like, you know, sound.xyz, they're doing this thing where it's like, we're, we're printing a limited run of, it's like they're doing like a limited run of vinyl, right? That's kind of how they're, they're considering it. And it's like, you can, you can have a art package uh, that comes with your music and it's like an NFT package and you, you, you come up with this album, maybe you have a small fan base that values it at a certain amount, you get paid. Uh, more than you would for two million streams on Spotify, and which is seven thousand dollars ish, and uh, and then you become famous. Maybe you become famous. Maybe you win a Grammy. Maybe something happens where that stuff increases, and then you get paid again. Which is if it flips. I mean, that's like that's that's every that's everything. That's going to completely change the way that musicians think about how to sell their music. And there's been so much pushback against it. I just feel like it's been so short sighted. It's like I understand that there's complexities and we could talk about that a little bit but uh man the potential in my mind this, far outweighs right yeah i completely agree there's so much potential with it and i've seen it help so many artists and i'm sure it's helped so many musicians too i don't that's one side that i would like to get more into is the musician side of things last time i looked i thought that sound xyz was 
you had to apply and yeah, yeah. Be accepted. it's an exclusive club yeah yeah and they're only i think they're only running i don't remember what the number was when i talked to matt it was maybe like 25 30 artists you know it's like they're and they're increasing all the time but they're trying to scale slowly and they're trying to make sure that they keep the trash out you know like you know this is one of the things we can talk about is like opensea.io i think came out and said like 70 percent or 80 percent of the nfts are fraudulent on our site you know i mean it's like that's a (laughs) that's a problem right yeah (laughs) that's a problem and your art is not it's like you're a a real artist making real art selling your art on OpenSea. i feel like that's something that the industry has to has to grapple with and right maybe you know matt what matt said was that people uh who are actually doing the real genuine work in the space are just not good at self-promotion they're not thinking about self-promotion they're working on the shit right and they're and it's like they're not really that is self-promoters and so, so all you true. hear about is these scammers or whatever opportunists in a new space you know right yeah and it's like getting filled more and more with you know i get so many scam messages you know they're everywhere you know what are the messages like when because your art is up you get messages yeah messages like wanting i mean any nft artist you're in there long enough you get messages of trying to get you to click a link that then exposes all of your passwords and seed phrases and then like Uh, everything you own and all your crypto is gone unless you've got it you know on a ledger or something Jeez louise um but you know just like with anything you know scams scammers will you know, fill a void somewhere. Yep. You know, it yep. used to be just be, you know, I mean, I still get voicemails, you know, people call your phone, scammers call your phone, scammers send you emails. Now scammers are in the NFT space. Yeah. Yeah. I get a lot of, get, get a lot of scam texts. Yeah. We should get rid of texting altogether because some people are <laughs> scamming. Uh, that, that's, that's the argument, right? Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it altogether. Well, that seems to be what a lot fraud. of people would say for NFTs. It's like, yeah. It's just all fraudulent pyramid scheme and let's just get rid of it all. Yeah. But yeah. I think most people don't understand. They don't understand it, what it is and the potential it holds. When we come back, Drew tells us how selling his art as NFTs became a crucial part of his family's income during the global pandemic. We're just going to pause there for a sec to say that this podcast is brought to you by the Gig Boss app. Jana and I created Gig Boss because we were leading our own groups, freelancing and others, touring, teaching private lessons, and doing freelance education work, all while raising our two boys. We needed a way to keep track of everything. Create a group, create an event, and start organizing the madness. Gig Boss app is free on iOS and Android. How significant has selling your NFTs been in terms of your income pie as an artist and as a musician? Well, it happened at a very crucial time because it was, we were into the pandemic already, but it was getting kind of tight. I mean, my wife and I are musicians. The pandemic made us realize how much money we made from gigs and how much it supplemented our income. Yeah. So the NFTs, they really helped fill that hole and got us through. And then um, taxes was pretty good too. (laughs) Yeah. But it was a sign that like, that was a really successful year. You know, I heard plenty of people complaining about taxes, but I saw it as like, wow, I like... This is a sign that I did well. I made that much and that was crucial. Yeah, totally. 
that's awesome. So now how does it balance? And we talked a little bit about this before we started recording um, that you're maybe scaling down how much you're, how many gigs you're playing, you, that you were just saying yes to everything. I was also talking to uh, Katie Ernst on this podcast, amazing upright player. She's an upright player and singer. She's a band called Twin Talk, a trio, um, and she has a bunch of solo stuff too. And she was saying nice. sort of the same thing that like at some point, you know, she goes, now everything I do is something that I love and I'm invested in and that is artistically satisfying for me. But early on, the idea was I got to say yes to everything. So you're somewhere along that path, yeah? Yeah. And being like sort of for forced to stay home, working from home and then having no gigs, I did enjoy the, the time away from it a bit. It, it was a nice reset and it kind of cleansed the palate and I could reapproach it, what I wanted to do that was artistically satisfying. Yeah, I guess also, you know, financially smart <laughs> right i mean I'm, I'm certainly i start you know in my time in minneapolis i was f full-time playing for a long time and then i was yeah. kind of supplementing with teaching and had a couple adjunct faculty gigs that became sort of significant but it still wasn't the majority of my time was still playing and and recording and touring and now that i am at michigan tech you know as the director of jazz studies here it's been a really I mean, the pandemic in general was I'm going to have to put explicit on this episode. It was a huge <laughs> mind fuck. Um, just in general, for me, like it was a huge identity crisis. It was like, I knew that I was coming to a rural area, but when we first moved here, we were driving back to play all the time. I was going down to Chicago and going to Minneapolis. We threw this big show at the Dakota uh, Thanksgiving week before, you know, 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, it was sold out. We were like, man, we're, we could still do this from the UP. You know, we could still put on big shows. I can still go on little tours. And then pandemic hit and it was like, wait am i not a performer anymore like what's right happen you know what's happening uh major identity crisis mm -hmm. and now that things are opening back up again it's you know it's it's uh it's nice to feel a little bit more balanced but i also feel like i don't want to say yes to everything as well and that i know that that's how i was feeling towards the end of my time in minneapolis i was feeling like i don't want to play this funeral gig you know like feel like I started playing all these funeral gigs after my dad died. It was the worst, man. It was like, man, why am I doing this? I was feeling sad all the time. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's it's happy me. I was playing New Orleans music at funerals, and there was two different bands I did this with, and I told both the bands, I was like, I just don't want to do this anymore. So don't don't call me for these gigs anymore, you know. <laughs> but I I remember being in that place, but it was hard to remember that feeling during the pandemic. And then when things started to open up again, I started getting some major FOMO. I was like, oh my God, I need to be in a scene. I need to be playing. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. But it's like we're starting to find some balance now, uh, which is nice. But I feel like a lot of people that get to be 10, 15 years into to a music career, and maybe it's because like you become more well-known, you're getting better gigs. You, you don't have to take the like $40 Tuesday gig or $75 Wednesday gig or whatever. It's like you can go, all right, I'll, I, can, I can say no to those be with my family i can or i can spend that night rehearsing with one of my bands or recording or doing something that's more meaningful to me is that does that, does that feel like where you're at i mean like yeah i began to think like i could spend that time getting ready to go loading the car driving spending the gas being away from home for like eight hours and making like 75 200 bucks or i could spend time with family work on art and possibly sell that for more than a hundred dollars. Yeah, way more. And it just it kind of shifted my perspectives. And it also it made me the pandemic made me realize how much I missed making art because I stopped doing those every days in 2019. 
just because I had a full-time job raising a family and I wasn't putting the time into the everydays that I wanted to. It was Mm. becoming a chore and it wasn't as fun anymore because I I did it because I wanted to learn more and get better. And while I was, I didn't feel like I was getting better. I was just kind of like doing the same stuff, doing the same things just to check off the everyday for the day. Yeah, interesting. Um, So the the reset... When you did you go back to doing everydays again or no? No, now I am I'm not everydays. I do have a weekly thing going on right now where I post a weekly loop that I sell on Tezos. Cool. But the getting away from everydays kind of allowed me to focus on longer term projects, which was really refreshing. Yeah. Um, great. To be able to spend more headspace on a project without having to leave it to then do an everyday, crank that out. Right. Um, right. It was just. It just. It wasn't working anymore and it didn't mean that i wasn't going to make art anymore i think that's what i was afraid of for a while i was like if i don't make art every day i'm not gonna have the discipline to do it anymore yeah interesting but i think for doing it for so long i actually did (laughs) have the discipline to do it yeah of course of course yeah and it's really helped with putting together these nft projects these audiovisual loops and getting the music together for them i've done some collaborations with Brian. Brian is like some of them he's put together the whole tune. Some of them I've thrown down bass on them and then throw up, up throw it up on the he and I have stuff on foundation. What's what's foundation? It's similar to known origin. They yeah, it's just another Ethereum NFT site. For a while I think it was only auction based. So you'd have you'd set your reserve and then someone could place a bid. And if it was at the reserve, then a twenty four hour countdown would start. Mm. And then you just hype the hell out of it, yeah. trying to get other people to bid on it. <laughs> right, right. But now they've all they've since switched from only auction to adding buy it now feature and okay, eBay and, style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And, we're, and when we say Brian, we're talking about Brian Lewis Smith, great right. trumpet player. Yeah. Uh, may, really, I always loved his trumpet playing and his use of electronics in trumpet playing. Um, one of the reasons why I loved Coplan. No, the whole band was great, but it was really fun to watch uh, watch Brian up there playing. Yeah, it's he's one of my favorite musicians to play with, and we don't get to play much anymore. And so these collaborations have been fun to kind of connect virtually, even though we live just like right across town. We I was going to ask, like, don't you guys live in the same town? <laughs> I thought, yeah. did he move away? Is what I was going to ask. You just just working but, remote anyway. Yeah, we we got together recently, and he's gotten so many synths over the pandemic, and it's <laughs> it's I'm very jealous. <laughs> yeah, cool. But he's yeah he's always coming up with some amazing beautiful sounds that are always like really inspiring. They always make me want to just like run home right away and start writing stuff. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to find you on Foundation and your work with Brian, what would they? How would they search for that? So I've luckily had the foresight to stick with an, a single alias for nice. all of my work in the NFT space, and that's Drew Made Stuff. Drew Made Stuff, right. And you got your little picture of your, like, is that a kid picture of you? Is that you yeah. as a kid? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Cool. And if, if uh, you know, let's say so, uh, a young person is a digital artist, a young person is a digital artist and a musician, and they want to get into minting nfts where would you like what kind of advice would you give a person like that where do they start i think make sure i mean make sure you're still just creating art make art make sure that you are feeling good about it because once you enter the nft space it's really easy to it's tempting to like sway the way you make art to try to follow trends what yeah trends and what other people are doing and what other people are saying Yep. Um, what people are, what like high profile collectors are telling you about 
what you might want to consider putting into your artwork. Um, yep. Because no one's going to consistently buy your artwork. Like, there's not one person that's going to buy every single piece of your artwork. So, mm -hmm. you're going to have your high points and your low points where you're just making sales and making no sales. And you have to make sure that you know what art you like to make when you're making a lot of sales and when you're not making a lot of sales. Mm -hmm. And you got to feel good in both. Cool. I mean, it's okay to feel bad too, but <laughs> don't <laughs> suppress your feelings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it hurts. Uh, <laughs> But we push through. We push through. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And then I wanted to ask too, did you ever release? So people, people, the big thing that I, the reason I found out about people was because he sold his everydays, 5,000 maybe? Yeah. The first 5,000 of them. Yeah. And he sold them for something ridiculous, $62 it million was, dollars or something yeah, like that. 62 or $63 million. Yeah. It was like, a, yeah, that was a record. So have you considered packaging all of your everydays from 2012 to 20, was it 2012 to 2019? Yeah. I thought about it for under a second. <laughs> and then you decided, no, I'm not going to do it? I just don't think that... I don't know if I would be interested in seeing that, and I don't know if anyone else would be interested in seeing that. Yeah. yeah. Also because it sounds extremely daunting to put something like that together. Interesting. Well, but, man, thank you for, uh, for coming on here and talking to me about all this stuff. Yeah. This is super fun. Thanks for having me on here. Happy to chat about it. i didn't know that you were into crypto so much that's great yeah i'm i'm just super curious and interested and i'm constantly listening and um because i like we're we're really trying to run like a tech company it's like i really feel like i, I should know anyway you know just like be at least aware of what's going on and yeah. uh, see where see where we're going in the future i'm i'm also just i'm interested in solving problems and like to me streaming is a problem it's a big problem yeah. and it feels like crypto could be um and when i you know it's like when you say crypto that encompasses nfts i know you know this but that that's like people listening it's like that's all it's all of it and uh i think as you know as, as we've said such fascinating implications for uh for what's coming and uh right to me that's interesting that's worth that's worth at least paying attention you know definitely um, i probably yeah. started buying crypto a little too late my i had a buddy who told me about bitcoin in like 2012 you know and he was like man you should just spend 200 bucks on you know and i was like so broke i was so broke yeah. playing just being a full-time musician you know i was like there's no way i could come up with 200 bucks to do this <laughs> it's like god damn it why didn't i do that <laughs> whatever man it i is completely what it agree is. though because like that type of money back then was like I, I couldn't spare it i couldn't spare it at the time yeah it's tough that friend of mine is now living in a high rise in denver so <laughs> He's doing all right. He's doing all right. Um, well, thanks, man. I'm going to link all your stuff. Uh, so if people want to find you on uh, all your digital artwork, your NFTs, uh, I'll link all that stuff. I'll also link your bands, uh, Coplant. No, is Coplant doing stuff still or no? No. I mean, we, st <laughs> we still exist. We haven't done anything in a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's great music. I'll link it anyway. I'll link Coplant. I'll link Jack Lion. And... Uh, Thanks, man. This, this was super awesome and informative. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Adam. Great to talk. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. If you're digging the show, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Write us a little review if you have the time. That really helps us out. And please go download Gig Boss app. Gig Boss app is totally free on iOS and Android. If you are a gigging musician, it is an organizational tool for you. It is free. You can create groups. You can create events. You can tag your events to your groups. You can track how much money you've made, whether or not you've been paid. You can accept or decline invites in the app or in email. It's super slick. It's totally free. Click the link in the show notes to download.